0: The annual religious observance known in Christendom as Easter Sunday once again will soon be upon us. On a soon-coming Sunday, the vast majority of Christendom will celebrate what most of organized Christianity now considers the highest holy day on the religious calendar. It has been celebrated now for centuries since the church council at Nicaea in 325 AD set the first Sunday following the first full moon after the vernal equinox as Easter Sunday. Is celebration of Easter scriptural or, more importantly, God-pleasing at all? Welcome to The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on the earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been greater. Jesus prophesied an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the Word of God He is revealing in this hour is our goal. Transforming the hearts and minds of believers in Christ To empower them to fulfill the end times purposes and plans of God is our purpose. The annual religious observance known in Christendom as Easter Sunday once again will soon be upon us. On a soon-coming Sunday, the vast majority of Christendom will celebrate what most of organized Christianity now considers the highest holy day on the religious calendar. It has been celebrated now for centuries since the church council at Nicaea in 325 A.D. set the first Sunday following the first full moon after the vernal equinox as Easter Sunday. At first glance, that premise may seem innocuous until it is understood that it was the early universal church's adoption of the pagan day of veneration of the Babylonian goddess Ostara, alternately spelled E-O-S-T-R-E and pronounced Yastra, a.k.a. Ishtar, the entire system of which is squarely centered in Babylonian pagan astrology the anti-God religious system devised by Satan himself to direct humanity's worship of God to himself. While Easter festivities are now observed by Christian groups around the world, the irrefutable fact is that the observance is entirely without biblical precedence and in truth owes its origins to pagan worship of the ancient goddess Astarte, and her counterpart in Teutonic mythology, the Greek goddess of spring, Eostre who pagans lavished with hedonistic worship in a festival named after her that was held each year on the vernal equinox, March twenty-first, in hopes of evincing her favor with the beneficences of a warm and bright springtime after enduring the bleaknesses of a long, cold, and dreary winter. Many of the festivities associated with Easter today, such as Easter egg hunts and the Easter bunny, which have no connection whatever to the resurrection of Christ, and are carryovers from the pagan festivals. Eggs and rabbits, for whatever reasons, have long been symbols of fertility and reproduction in paganism and mythology. While the holy day of Easter continues to be observed by the majority of mainline Christian denominations, nevertheless, a small number of Christian church groups do not celebrate Easter at all, and a growing number of churches have adopted the more biblically appropriate alternative appellation of Resurrection Sunday for their observance of the special day though its importance continues to wane a little more with each passing year. In the minds of many in the modern societies of the world, for those churches that do celebrate Easter or Resurrection Sunday, traditionally it is the high watermark in attendance, which likely has a lot to do with why those churches continue to observe and promote it. However, Is celebration of Easter or Resurrection Sunday, whichever you prefer to call it, scriptural, or more importantly, God-pleasing at all? Is it possible that in our rightful zeal to glorify God for the empty tomb on that original first day of the week, when Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Christ, we have almost entirely overlooked or at least under-emphasized what else transpired that glorious resurrection morn nearly 2,000 years ago that is very much worthy of exaltation and exaltation of the Almighty God of genuine Christianity. Irrefutable Facts About the Origins of Easter the assignation of Easter, aka the Day of Ishtar, is derived from the alternate name for the goddess Ostara, also spelled Eostre and pronounced Aostra, known also in the pagan worship of some nations as Ishtar and in others as Isis. In every case, the goddess known by those various names is considered the moon goddess, as well as the fertility goddess. In various other pagan cultures in certain nations, some still existing, some not, this same idol or false goddess has a variety of names, some familiar, some not so. In Chinese paganism, her name is Mu. In Egypt, Isis. The pagan Ephesians worshipped her as Diana. Greeks, Aphrodite, or Ceres. In Druid paganism, Virgo, Baratura. To the ancient pagan Jews, Ashtaroth, Queen of Heaven. To the Etruscans, Nutria. In India, Icy, or Indrani, to the old Saxon-German pagans, Hertha, to Scandinavian pagans, Disa, to Hare Krishna's Deveki, to Catholics espousing Marian doctrines, her name is the Virgin Mary, Queen of Heaven, to Pentecostals, slash Neo-Pentecostals, she is Jezebel. In pagan worship as well as more modern astrology, Easter is celebrated on the first Sunday after the first moon after Ostara, and therefore the date it is celebrated is not a fixed date each year, but rather is dependent upon the astrological calendar which in itself demonstrates it is a product not of the perfectly ordered God-set creational chronology, but of a chaotic creature-invented astrometry. Another indicator of the bastardizations inherent in the religions of man, which are designated to deflect to the arch-rival of God the worship praise, honor, and glory due exclusively to Jehovah God, the Creator of all. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans one twenty-five. The pagan holy days coinciding with the time range during which Easter falls each year in practice are totally unrelated to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather celebration of the return of Semiramis, said to be the wife of Nimrod, the ruler of ancient Babylon into her reincarnated form of the spring goddess. Indeed, the roots of quote-unquote Easter can be traced all the way back to ancient Babylon, the original manifestation of Satan's kingdom on earth, and the most idolatrous form of paganism. Beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation, Babylon is referenced numerous times in the Bible, as the earthly manifestation of Satan's kingdom on earth, which God will ultimately destroy. Pagan tradition holds that following Nimrod's death, Semiramis, who, along with Nimrod, is considered to be the co-founder of all occult religions, invented the legend that Nimrod was actually her divine son, whom she birthed, in a quote-unquote virgin birth. From there, the Easter mythology gets even more bizarre, but also reveals the source of Easter-related rituals and practices. The Babylonians, the original pagan worshippers, celebrated the return of Ishtar, or Easter, the goddess of spring, on the day as well as the rebirth or reincarnation of Mother Nature, or the goddess of nature. According to Babylonian mythology, a giant egg fell from heaven into the Euphrates River. The egg broke upon impact, and out of this egg emerged the goddess Ishtar, or Easter. A short time later. The concept of an egg incubating in a nest until it hatched was conjured up to represent the original legendary event, and the Ishtar eggs and nest were placed in a wicker or reed basket and carried by pagan practitioners during the Easter or Ishtar festivities and ceremonies. The idea of an Easter egg hunt as part of the celebrations was conceived as well, the essence of which was that the persons who found the celebratory hidden Ishtar eggs dyed with bright spring colors during her annual rebirth time would receive special blessings from Ishtar, which included special impartations of fertility because, as mentioned, Ishtar, or Aestra, Ostara, is the supreme fertility goddess. I've presented here only a very cursory history of so-called Easter, only enough to show that its roots are actually pagan, and not a part of historical, biblical, and orthodox Christianity. There are perhaps hundreds more sources of its history published on the Internet and can be readily obtained using a search engine. My main reason for presenting a small bit of the history is to demonstrate what a distraction and departure from the primary message of the resurrection Easter celebrations are today. I find it extremely difficult to find any redeeming quality of celebrating Easter when compared to the richness of the message of the resurrection of Christ on that first resurrection morning. My motivation is not condemnation for those who celebrate Easter, but rather illumination of the surpassing greatness of the resurrection message. The rest of the Easter story. For almost 1,700 years since Easter was officially established as a holy day of observance in Christendom, Christians have celebrated that the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus' mutilated body, was placed in, was empty. Of course the tomb was empty. Jesus told the disciples repeatedly he would rise again. On the third day, he had also told them he was the way, the truth, and the life, Zoe, the eternal life of God. They should have known death could not overcome the life of God. Had they believed his claims, they would not have been perplexed to find the stone rolled away And the tomb empty on the third day. Though it might sound sacrilegious to some, the empty tomb was not the greatest or the grandest event that occurred on that third day following Jesus' bodily death. Nor was it that he had defeated death and rose triumphantly from the bowels of hell and was alive, demonstrating that death, hell, and the grave, all products of the devil's rebellion and apostasy, were powerless to hold him. For he was the Creator, and the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Romans eight twenty. Indeed, this resurrection of the only begotten Son of God the firstborn prototokos in the Greek prototype in English from the dead Colossians one eight compare also with revelation one five was the inaugural revealing of the sons of god romans eight nineteen that holy race, first Peter two nine of redeemed humanity heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Romans eight seventeen, who, in the final denouement of the redemption plan, will ultimately share his glory that is to be revealed to us. ROMANS eight eighteen. The unfortunate thing about the annual celebration of the empty tomb, on a man made religious holy day, When churches and Christians make such a to-do about what happened on what they call Easter Sunday, which is nowhere found or referred to in Scripture, is that it undermines the greatest and grandest events that occurred that day. And the result is that very, very few believers even know what those events were. The first of these two events is what occurred after Jesus had the encounter with Mary, in which he said, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. John 20.17. He said this to her and stopped her from embracing him because what would happen next would be that He would ascend into heaven as the true high priest, of whom all the thousands of years of Hebrew high priests represented. The Levitical law concerning the high priest, while he was performing the oblational ordinance, dictated that he could not touch or be touched by any human, particularly a woman, lest he be defiled and disqualified as the high priest. That is why he forbade her to touch him, for he had not yet ascended unto the Father as the true high priest, bearing the sins of the world as the kinsman-redeemer. The story of Jesus' is appearing before the throne of God as the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, as well as the true high priest And what took place during that incredible event is found in Zechariah 3. It chronicles what took place when Joshua, Hebrew for Jesus, the high priest, stood before the throne of God with Satan, the accuser, standing next to him, accusing him before God. I will not expound upon this event here in great length, except to say that this is when the ultimate judge, God Almighty declared the sacrifice of the Lamb of God enough. The blood He had shed, holy, H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, innocent blood, was sufficient as a propitiation to satisfy the penalty for the sin of the whole world. Then the Almighty ordered that His bloodied and filthy garments, our sinfulness and wickedness, and the filthy turban on His head, what on earth during His fleshly suffering was the crown of thorns, be removed and replaced with the robes and crown of righteousness and royalty. Quote, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. End quote. Second Corinthians five twenty one. His sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, was the satisfaction for our waywardness and wickedness, and it made our Redemption complete. Now the Lamb who was slain have been exalted to the right hand of God and given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2 9. But in reality, With respect to the ultimate purpose of the redemption plan, the culminating event that took place that third day, Resurrection Day, did not happen in the morning at all. But that evening, it was when the glorified Jesus walked through the locked door of the upper room. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't allow the doors we've locked in our lives to keep him out, actually keep him out of our lives. And the first words he spoke after returning to earth from the throne of God in heaven were, Shalom, peace be unto you. Luke twenty-four thirty-six. With this greeting, he was saying, that the disciples and the whole world, whosoever would believe in Him and confess Him as Savior and Lord, now had peace with God. The sacrifice He had just completed had established peace between God and men. The utter defilement, that utterly separated, utterly unholy humanity had been utterly removed. This is Stephen Lambert. We trust you're enjoying this episode of the Real Truth Podcast. You can submit your comments and questions at realtruthradio.com God's righteous and just wrath against wicked sinners, you and me, and every person ever born except Jesus, had now been appeased once and for all. Then the glorified Christ and kinsman Redeemer breathed upon those gathered in the upper room and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. It was at that very moment that the very first disciples in the history of the Adamic race were born again, and thereby became the firstborn of the holy race, as they were infused with the Holy Spirit in their formerly dead, Ephesians 2, 1, human spirits. Think of that. Marvel at that. It is truly marvelous and mind-boggling. And praise God, that is how it has been transpiring ever since. Whenever anyone believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses Him as Savior and Lord, they are infused with the indwelling Holy Spirit and thereby born again, becoming a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away, and new things come. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And now, as the late born-again Christian Paul Harvey used to say, you know the rest of the story. Holy days discontinued in New Testament era. Speaking through the inspiration of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul, The spiritual patriarch of the Gentile church chastised the Galatian church for their spiritual regression or apostasy with regard to their returning to the observance of special days and months and seasons and years as required by the teachings of the Messianic Judaism, of which they had become influenced by infiltrating Judaizers in Paul's absence. Now, however, that you have come to be acquainted with and understand and know the true God, or rather to be understood and known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly and worthless elementary things of all religions before Christ came, whose slaves you once more want to become? You observe particular days and months and seasons and years. I am alarmed about you, lest I have labored among and over you, to no purpose, and in vain. Galatians 4, 9-11, through 11, Amplified Bible. The kingdom is come. It is an established fact, supported by a preponderance of historical information, in addition to Scripture itself, that the earliest Gentile believers under the tutelage of the early apostles, such as the Apostle Paul, and his contemporaries rejected and in the case of Jewish believers, renounced the observance of special holy days, seasons, months, and years, including all the Jewish feasts. The early apostles taught that with the death and resurrection of Christ, the kingdom had now come, and unfettered access to God and the spirit realm had been granted, and thus there was no further need for the types and shadows of the Old Covenant era. Now there was a new and living way. Now the way, the truth, and the life had been manifest. It is finished, Jesus declared from the cross at Calvary, with his final dying breath. And at that very moment, the veil in the temple that had for centuries separated the holy place from the most holy place, was rent from top to bottom as the Spirit of God burst forth from behind the blue, purple, and scarlet fine-twisted linen veil, Exodus twenty-six thirty-one, that for millennia, theretofore, inalterably segregated, unholy, sin-infested mankind from the pristinely holy, almighty God, never more to be incarcerated behind that veil, but released to now take up residence in surrendered believers in the true Lamb of God who had just taken away the sin of the world as John the Baptist prophetically pronounced, John one twenty nine, Will you celebrate a pagan fertility goddess or the resurrection of the Savior? This coming Resurrection Sunday, being what the church world as a whole and the secular world alike refer to as Easter, This is a good time for genuine born-again, there is no other kind in truth, believers in Christ to take up a fresh look at just what the perennial day of observance is really all about, and whether or not the concept of Easter, including the invocation of the term, is genuinely glorifying to the God who so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son to be the ransom required to take away the sin of the world. More and more believers are beginning to understand that the celebration of Easter is actually rooted in paganism and has nothing whatever to do with the resurrection of Christ on the third day following His death on the cross, on the religious day that came to be called Good Friday. For me personally, that is a good thing. Sacrificing the fleeting frivolity of Easter egg decoration and hunts and being tagged a Bah Humbug is a small price to pay for not obscuring and detracting from the glorious truths of what really happened on that first resurrection morning when that donated tomb, in which Jesus' mutilated body had been placed, was empty because the Messiah had risen, just as he prophesied he would, having purchased our redemption on the cross at Calvary, not just covering over as the blood of bulls and goats could only do, but taking away, remitting, a word totally unique to the New Testament and not found in the old. My sin and yours. Hallelujah. Gladly, without any reservation, sorrow, or mourning, will I trade the temporal and short-lived happiness of my children in finding a painted chicken egg for the everlasting, uncontainable, and inexpressible joy They will experience when their spirit bursts through the portals of glory to find the Savior who saved them by His grace waiting with open arms to receive them into eternal fellowship, greeting them with a standing ovation, Acts 7.56, and that greatest of all salutations we all long to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Master. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible, and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.